Thank you very much, Martin. So, we've had a really interesting um, couple of weeks looking at leadership in the life of the church, looking at Jesus, the servant leader, and then looking at senior leadership and eldership in the life of the church. And there's a few things that we bring forward from that discussion uh, to today. If you've missed one of those talks, do recommend you catch up with that um, via the website. One of the key things that we bring forward is that Jesus, the servant, is our example when we discuss leadership. And I think from last week when we were talking about senior leadership in the church, the biggest take home and the thing that we want to take forward is that with the eldership in the life of this church, it's not like some big top-down pyramid um, where someone sits on the top of a tree, but rather uh, we see ourselves very much as a team who are building a circle of protection around the life of the church, around the people, around the doctrine, around the activity of the church, so that everyone within the church can thrive into who God has made them to be. And within that sort of leadership culture, there is, uh, there is some direction, uh, there's some hearing from God and, and, and deciding the way forward. But it's not, this is what you must do, but it's, hey, we think we've heard from God together. Should, should we go on the journey together? That's the kind of the culture that we're coming from. And within the life of our church, there are so many significant people with leadership gifts and responsibilities Uh, men and women serving God in an empowered way that we just want to encourage and continue to release. Another factor is that uh, within the life of this church, some of our most gifted leaders, your primary calling where you're working out your leadership gift isn't within the church, it's within the workplace or maybe other things that God has called you to do. And we really want to uh, honour and release Uh, those gifts uh, and and encourage you and be alongside you because it's not like you're below people in a pyramid here but you're alongside us within a circle of protection within a church family so we want this to be a safe place for you to grow as you fulfill your calling in God but this morning we're going to bring the conversation a little bit more personal and we're going to talk about us here and a few pointers about what it is to be part of a church, to belong to a church family. And I've got three points today and it goes a little bit like this. How you see the church affects everything. You really matter and it really is all about Jesus. This is a traditional three-point sermon that I don't do very often, but we're going to work through them one by one. And we'll start with this. How you see the church affects everything. It affects your focus and your time, your effort, your priorities, your relationships, your resources. And I think that leaves us with quite a big question then. How do we actually see the church? And just to comment on a couple of Uh, trends that I see within the church in the United Kingdom and a few reflections for us. For some people it feels uh, a little bit like uh, they view the church almost like a bomb shelter. 
It's dark and scary outside and the church has become a place or a gathering where we can come and hide from it. Now, there are elements of that that are really helpful, but ultimately the purpose of being church is not having a safe place to hide. Some verses from 1 Peter 2, from verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then from verse 9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Living stones built together into a spiritual household, offering worship to God together, a chosen people, God's special possession, that we might declare Declare the praises of him who's called us from darkness into light. And it's that declaration of his wonderful light that really isn't about what we say or do in here. It's a declaration of light to the world around us. It was said when Jesus came that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And so we, as followers of Jesus, continue to shine that light in the dark world. We don't come to church to hide. We go as church to shine. We don't come to church to hide. We go as church to shine. A picture of a bomb shelter isn't that helpful, really. Perhaps a closer analogy might be our gathering is a little bit like a pit stop during a Formula One race. A place to refuel, to receive instruction, to give feedback, to recalibrate before we go again. And I think there's another quite big misunderstanding which comes from uh, asking the question, what can the church do for me? And it feels like there's a little bit of a trend uh, amongst the church in this country to almost see the relationship between a person and their church in a sort of very cost-benefit kind of way. And so there's kind of like time and money and energy going one way, and then there is a set of goods and services and perhaps even entertainment coming the other way. And I think... Uh, leadership within churches can be just as guilty of this, uh, seeing people in the organisation as sort of their potential time, their potential, what, what rotor they can fill, uh, what resources they might bring into the church family, rather than actually seeing people within the church as brothers and sisters. So as we go on, can I just say at this point that in this church... We want your friendship first, not your labour. A lot of people in this church work incredibly hard and serve in so many different ways. But ultimately, we want your friendship, not your labour. 
Ten years ago now, I did a preach on serving the church. And I used two pictures. And I reckon that after ten years, you're allowed to reuse a sermon illustration. What do you think? Is that fair? An entire decade has passed. And so I'm going to go for it again. I've called this a tale of two ships. First of all, I want to introduce you to the Arcadia Cruise Liner. 83,000 tonnes, 880 crew, 2,388 passengers, two theatres, a casino, nine bars and six restaurants. Sounds all right, doesn't it? The next ship I'd like to introduce you to is the USS Essex. 40,500 tonnes, 1,200 crew, 1,800 troops, 36 aircraft, a 600-bed hospital and four dental and six operating theatres. A tale of two ships. If I offered you a cruise on either of these ships, which would you choose? On this one. I don't believe you, but it's the right answer. Um, On the first one, a third of all the people rush around trying to do everything for everyone else. The rest of the people are there to be entertained. You can get on and get off at any point. If you don't like it, you simply choose another ship the next time. Most of the people on board sit idly being entertained. They make polite conversation with people that they don't really know. The captain likes to sit at the table, the top table, and be made a fuss of by guests who treat him like a celebrity. The closer you are to the captain, the better you've done. On another ship, different people are serving in different ways, but everyone has a role. Some people work away from the ship, some people work centrally, but all are equally vital to its mission. There are no customers or providers. There are servicemen and women. It has the best medical facilities because if you are unwell, this is where to come. It might not look pretty, but they care about you and they care for you and they want to see you whole. The people are together. They recognise they depend on each other with a common goal and purpose. And this ship is not just an assault ship. It's currently delivering aid to a needy country. The helicopters are in use transporting grain and the marines are helping to save lives in a flooded region inland. The hospital is treating people from ashore who've come for refuge. When the inhabitants of the port saw this ship arrive, they cheered and celebrated because they knew that help and refuge and protection was coming. It weighs half the weight of the cruise ship because if you take the people out, there's not a lot left. They're what makes it what it is. Without them, it's nothing. Service men and women, trained, equipped, ready to stand up and be counted, shoulder to shoulder with one another. One is designed and the whole focus is the pleasure of those on board. The other exists for greater purposes beyond itself. How we see the church affects everything. 
Our whole attitude changes when we know what the church is here for. My second point is that you matter. This is really relevant based on some of the encouragements that we've heard already this morning. You really matter. And when I say that, I don't mean you like all of you, like the plural, this big generic you. I actually mean you. The person who is sitting on your seat. The person with your head. You. You matter. You belong. You are loved. And if something weird happened just now and everyone else disappeared and there was just you and me, you were sat there and I was still talking, I could keep on talking because I'm talking to you. How can I be so completely and totally sure that you matter? Because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that when you, when you believed in him, you would not perish but have eternal life. You really matter. God has chosen to adopt you into his family. He is your father and, and that makes other people in this room brothers and sisters. And folks, we've got an enemy who wants you to look around a room such as this and think, well, they all know each other. They all like each other. And I don't fit in. An enemy who wants to tell you that you don't belong. And I want to tell you that you do. You really, really, really matter. And in the early days of the church, they were trying to sort out what it would mean in these new gatherings of believers. Paul wrote a letter to the church in Corinth And they were going through a tough time. There was all kinds of crazy things happening in the church. He was trying to straighten it all out, sort it all out. He writes to them about their worship. And then he goes on to say this. 1 Corinthians 12 and from verse 12. Just as a body, though one as many parts, but all as many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised with one spirit so as to form one body whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. 
the passage goes on in this direction, but the message is clear. Different people, different gifts, different life skills, different experiences, different personalities, different weaknesses coming together. And there's a unique God-given power that comes when we're joined together and we allow him to use us together. And we don't look at each other wondering if an ear is more important than a little toe. We just thank God that we can hear and thank God that we can walk. God wants you part of his body. It's so important that you hear that. It's so important that you believe that you matter. And the world says hierarchy and levels, working your way up, power, control, success, failure, important people, unimportant people. Where does that all lead? Can I invite you to just look at our government? Look at our major political parties in the last three weeks. Look where that sort of culture and attitude gets you. Some politicians in the last fortnight have been so desperate to get ahead, they've ended up stabbing themselves in the back. God looks down on his children and he says, family, household, body. Family, household, body. Mutual dependence. That's how we're supposed to function in the church. Different parts together. A deliberate decision to maybe give up some of our own preferences for the sake of other people. A a deliberate decision to find our place, to appreciate one another, to work through our differences and to walk forward together. A decision to be nice to each other. We can wrap it up in all sorts of religious language. But ultimately, being really nice to each other is where it starts and is such a wonderful thing. You really matter. You really do. And my final point. It really is all about Jesus. Now, a statement like that can be a bit of a cliche, can't it? It can be a sort of hippie-type get-out clause when there's a difficult question, you know. What do you think about this? Oh, well, man, it's just all about Jesus. That sort of thing. But the thing is, it really is all about Jesus. It's not about leadership or membership or your congregation or your denomination or network of churches. Those things matter. They really, really do matter. But they're not what it's about. When push comes to shove, it really is all about Jesus. And let's be honest here. The the truth of the matter is that the church will disappoint you. And leaders will disappoint you. We will disappoint you. We'll make mistakes. We'll miss opportunities. And that might cause hurt for you. And it might cause hurt for us. And you will do things that will negatively impact other people. Not because anyone is trying to. 
but because we're people. Someone once said to me, one of the wisest pieces of advice I've ever had, don't demand grace for yourself that you won't give to other people. Don't demand grace for yourself that you won't give to other people. And I took that on board and I thought to myself, I'm going to give a lot of grace to a lot of other people because I know that I need a lot. And if we all have that attitude, then it's going to be all right. But it's so important then that our faith and our focus isn't actually on one another in that sense. And our faith isn't in the church as a, as a structure. Our faith is in Jesus himself. And when Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, there was false teaching that was trying to undermine their understanding and undermine how much they valued Jesus. And he put across to them just how important Jesus is to everything, including the church itself. Colossians 3 and from verse 11. There is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, that Scythian? I don't know. Slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I'm not sure if there is a greater passage to encourage us how to function in a church community. Christ is all and is in all. Is how it starts. And it finishes with whatever you do, do it for him. So Christ is all and is in all and whatever you do, do it for him. It really is all about Jesus. Because of Jesus, all our differences, uh, cultural, um, personality, racial, class, background, all our differences fall to the ground. And we can be one because of Jesus. And he goes out of his way to plead with the believers to bear with one another, to forgive one another, to accept one another. I put it to you that he's so clear on that because there will be times when we have to. There will be times when we have to bear with one another and forgive one another. There will be weaknesses in our personalities or characters which will affect each other. 
But now we are one in Christ. But the truth is that even as one in Christ, we might still annoy each other a little bit. And so we need to learn how to deal with that well in a godly way that brings us even closer together. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts as you come together. The peace of Christ. Put on love. I love that expression. Put on love, which binds you together in unity. It's almost as though we have a choice to put on love, to clothe ourselves in love, to decide to love one another above anything else. And he goes on to say to teach and to admonish one another. So the love we share in Jesus isn't just a completely ineffective sort of cuddle fest where uh, all we ever do is pat each other on the back as we sort of head towards the cliff face. Teach suggests that we know things that other people have to learn. Admonish is a strong word. It means to urge strongly or to reprimand. And our love for one another means that we teach and we admonish one another. And as a leadership in the church, we've got a really uh, important responsibility before God to set the direction of the teaching. And so, like for that reason, the Sunday talks are actually important. And, and so are our discussions in midweek groups as well, when we get to open up the scripture once again and, and work out how we're going to let it affect us. If we're to teach and admonish one another, well, we can't actually do that unless we're talking to one another, unless we know one another. Now, towards the end of a talk on functioning as a church and allowing God to stir us up in this area, there's a temptation for me to now talk about uh, how everyone should come to every meeting and serving and giving and have a whole load of rotors at the back and people can just skip excitedly towards the back and offer to help. That is not what we're going to do. Because it is not about that. That is not the image that I want you to take home. Instead, I'm going to need some of you to help me some of you may have seen this before, uh, but as we've just heard, you're going to need to bear with me. So, I'm going to go and collect this cross. I love working as part of a church where there's lots of different users of the building and lots of activity going on. And I love the fact when I asked for a cross to be available on a Sunday morning, it actually needed a sticker on it saying, Required for Sunday. just to make sure that one of the other users didn't think it looked good and run off with it. Right, I'm going to need some help. So who is going to help me? Uh, I'm just going to pick on people, is that okay? Uh, I'm going to need a few people. So if I start in that corner, could I go for Hillary? And I'm going to work around. I'm just picking people randomly. Could I take... Uh, Keith, could you come, Smith? Is that right? Yeah. 
And we'll go round. Can we go, Kevin, can you come and help me? Uh, if you don't want to come, just don't move. That's fine. No one will know it's you. Um, Denise, could you come and help me? And as you come, what I want you to do is I'd like you to hold on to the centre of the cross. Okay, I'd like you to hold on. You need to hold the centrepiece of the cross. Okay, David Griffiths, you can come and help me. You caught my eye and smiled. That was dangerous. Look how everyone's sitting on the floor now. Uh, Joe Young, could you come and help me? What about, oops, what about Ollie Gibbs? Could you come? Uh, Karen, could you come? Rogers, could you come? I'm going to need some more people because we need to fill this up. Uh, okay, uh, Val, could you come? And Nick Blackburn, could you come? Uh, who else? Need some more people. Uh, Terry, you can come. Uh, Dave Carter, can you come? Does anyone want to come who I haven't picked yet? <laughs> yeah, okay, if you just want to come up, come now. Within reason, yeah, there's a few people who want to come and join in. Dan, you put your hand up. You can't leave me hanging like that. There's 200 people looking at me. You can't be waving at me from the back and expect to get away with it. Now, you must be touching the middle of the cross. Look at this image. Jesus is at the centre. In this church, we frame that as knowing Jesus and making him known. But whatever words you use, Jesus is at the centre. And we gather. We gather around his work, his cross, his gospel, his good news, his word, his power, his love, his kindness, his kingdom, His coming back, his judgment, his righteousness, his rule. And as we gather to Jesus, it brings us closer to all these weird and wonderful other people who we discover also follow him. (laughs) Nothing personal, you were wonderful. And as we get closer to him, somehow we also get closer to them. And while getting closer to Jesus is always an entirely positive experience, sometimes as we get closer to other people, that can be a little bit uncomfortable because actually we realise that they look different and they talk different and they think differently and they spend their time differently and they've got some odd views compared to us and they support a different football team and they vote different politics and they play Pokemon on their phone. (laughs) Dear friends, how on earth are we going to make this work? We don't worry about each other too much. Because it really is all about Jesus. So we look to him. We don't concentrate on each other's faults. We look to his radiant love. 
I'm going to thank you guys for helping out so well. Can we give them a round of applause? I was going to leave them there for just a couple more points, but I thought it seemed to be a bit harsh there. You've all you've seen the picture. We don't concentrate on each other's faults. We look at his radiant love. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since of members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Be thankful. Because thankful is the opposite to judgmental. Thankful is the opposite to criticism. Thankful is the opposite to cynicism. We don't encounter other people in a church and make lists of their faults. We thank God for his grace to us and his grace to them. We experience a completely different attitude as we draw close to Jesus. If you remember nothing else from what I've shared this morning, please remember the sight, the wonderful sight of brothers and sisters drawn together by Jesus. So, we're here this morning, part of the body of Christ, a a small expression of it here in Shropshire. We have a big vision and a big heart for what God might do and how God might use us. We want to have a real sense of being a church family together with people released into their gifts and callings by servant leaders who create a circle of protection around the people. And for this reason, I think we already have much to be thankful for and much to honour God for. As we continue on this journey together, I ask us to remember that how we see the church affects everything, that you really matter, and it is really all about Jesus. God spoke to me during the worship time as we were singing uh, the song that's based on the creed. And he told me to be quiet. I'm sure, I think that was God and not Martin. I think that was. <laughs> They've got similar deep voices, so that's why. Uh, <laughs> carry on. Shut up. Uh, um, <laughs> both, yeah. So... I felt God say, be quiet and just listen. And I stopped singing. And the declaration of his glory continued. Because you were singing. And beautiful you sounded. And I felt God say to me, you know, part of this church thing is that even when we falter, the momentum of the declaration of his light into the darkness continues. And just to take a moment 
and to listen to the voices of all the other people. Joined not by culture or pastimes or whatever it is, but actually joined by the fact that these are the things that we believe. And so I'd love us to finish by singing that song together. And I'm just going to ask Keith and the team, therefore, to come forward. But what I'd like to do is just wiggle the words around a little bit. I don't believe I'm going to change any orthodox Christian doctrine in doing this. But wherever you see the word I, can we sing we? Can we sing we? And at some point during the song, not all together and not all at the beginning because it won't work, but at some unspecified point during this song, just take a time out for a sentence or so and just listen to the voices of the brothers and sisters that God has ordained for you to be joined with so that even when you falter, the declaration of the goodness of God continues. And there are other times where you're going to have to sing extra specially loud to make up for it, as I will proudly be doing down here at the front to the joy of my fellow servant leaders. Can we stand together? Do you just want to pray? Brief.